This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Check out our last episode, episode seven with Dan Kelly, where we go over the investigative interviewing techniques for supply chain executives. Hey guys, and welcome back to Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. We are so excited to be doing this interview from our very own studio. Yes, you heard me. We now have an executive producer. His name is Mike Mazurik, and you can read all about him on our website at twobabestalksupplychain.com. And our sound quality will be even better since we're in an actual studio. So today our guest is Shane Cannon, and he joins us in studio. Yay! (laughs) Shane Cannon has worked in all aspects of international trade with a focus on customs compliance for the past 18 years. His experience spans various customs roles in brokerage, 3PL, courier, and private industry. Companies are becoming more diligent, Shane. Well, um... Basically, it would be come down to education, I think. Um, the knowledge is out there. Uh, the government is really pressing. Um, many companies have recognized that failure to be compliant has serious legislative and economic impacts. And in, in turn, that adds pressure to their business model. Um, the ability for companies to self-educate themselves, which really in the past wasn't necessarily an option, you basically, you took what your broker gave you and that was the information you were given. At this point, um, not only do companies have people in-house that are knowledgeable and have went to school for customs, but the ability to go online, government programs, um, just information in general is far more available. Well, not only that, but I think um, companies now, as the importer of record, their responsibilities are a lot heavier than I think it used to be, and there's a lot more penalties added to that. Isn't that right? Yeah, of course. Um, with, I mean, AMP's administrative monetary penalty system, which was implemented probably a decade ago, um, the government really hasn't fallen back on that. Um, it's not necessarily engaged with companies as much as it probably could be if the government decided that they wanted to turn around and utilize it word for word the way that it's actually written. Um, more global trade. Uh, there's a lot more non-resident importers, which would mean yeah. you don't necessarily... I mean, companies in Canada don't necessarily know the rules. So if you're based out of Colorado and you're a non-resident importer to Canada, you're less likely to have um, availability to that information. Mm-hmm. And... Again, you fall back on the broker. They're, they're really, their job is to get it across the border and do it as streamlined and as cost-effective for themselves as well as the client. But mm-hmm. um, they're really, they're putting their, first, their foot first. Yeah. Their yeah. foot forward first. Yeah. I, I actually noticed something. Um, I'm dealing with a lot of NRIs and stuff uh, lately too at work. And a lot of these non-resident importers believe that the laws are the same from the U.S. to Canada. So then when I tell them that, no, I can't go off that arrival notice and stuff, 
Um, they're like, why? Everything's there. And it's a lot more different information that Canada needs than what the U.S. needs. The U.S. for ocean shipments mm -hmm. doesn't need as much information as what we need in Canada. Yeah. But then when you're exporting, the U.S. needs more information to export to the U.S. than what Canada needs to export into Canada. Yeah, and as far as the NRI program goes, I don't think that it's just about customs anymore. It's more of a holistic approach to it, right? You've got managing your taxes. You've got the customs clearance of the goods. You've got the input tax credit. You've yep. got, like, there's so many different moving parts to the NRI program that I don't think it's just solely based on customs. Not but when all. it comes to compliance, that's when you really, really want to rely on your customs broker as well as yourself. Right, which is well, what exactly. we're talking about. And, and in a lot of cases, you'll have sister companies that are global. So they may take on the responsibility, even though you're the entity that's ultimately importing it. Mm -hmm. So they're controlling, you know, the course of the goods, the supply chain, the paperwork, the valuation, the classification. And you sort of in, potentially inherit problems that if it was just you doing your own importing as a sole entity you might have solved those problems but you rely on the fact that you know your parent company or your sister company is dictating what happens right so let's sort of back up a little bit let's get into you know what exactly is compliance for our audience what does compliance mean what is compliance well compliance is i mean it's pretty straightforward it's do the right thing um whether you're driving down the 401 and you're complying to the speed limit it, it, or doing your own personal income tax compliance basically is know the rules, know how they affect you, mm -hmm. um, acknowledging them, recognizing them, and then following them. Um, right. So in the customs world, compliance specifically, I mean, obviously follow the rules, you know, obviously know how it, ex it affects your companies. But I guess for me, compliance is such a big... Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Right. So how do we sort of, you know break it down and, and really describe it to our audience? Well, I think f from a corporate standpoint, you know what you do. So from my perspective, I work for a sporting goods company. You know, there's several chapters in, in the Harmonized Code that we deal with. Know what you, your core business is mm -hmm. um, and then recognize the rules that are associated with that. I mean, the rules don't change for importers but they do change in accordance to what your business model is and, and what product you are bringing exactly because um, there i have some nris that are actually um they own planes and they, they lease them out and there's a lot more different rules to do in those entries than an nri that ships in clothes to sell to whatever center right. in, in Canada. So it, it does really come down to the commodity of goods. Yeah, your IHS and code matters. It does to the sixth degree or to the sixth digit, really, because that's mm -hmm. universal. After that, it's it's really broken down by country. Some countries will go 0010. Other countries will be 0000. Yeah. So, and, and that will affect your duty. And then again, there might be also drawbacks or other stuff you could apply for to try and gather some of that money back since you are paying taxes mm -hmm. in the states plus Canada. But the other thing to remember too is you could be importing the product under a code that you think it should be yep. that could be very well zero duty and then Canada Customs or Customs in general could reassess that and say no hey it should be under this 
code if you don't have a ruling applied to it. Yeah. And that could be 8%. And in Canada, they can go back four years for that. And and rulings, too, are not really binding. So it, it all comes down to what customs. And with my history, every single port we have in Canada is different. They mm-hmm. always, there's one little thing that they do different. Certain ones, like for Toronto, for example, I have to do paper package for an aircraft. But if that same aircraft had the same repairs done and landed in Calgary, it's EDI. Right. When I, I do think they should become more universal. They say they're trying to and, and they're working on that. But with my experience the last 10 years, no office is the same. And they all have their different quirks and, and stuff that they like to do before the other offices. Well, customs basically wants you to live in a black and white world, but every importer lives in a gray world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that a is, great that's way to put it. That almost, it is, right? The lady I work with, Debbie, she loves that saying, the gray, you know, it's a gray area. You ask her a question, <laughs> well, Nick, it's technically a gray area. No, I, I want right and wrong. Yeah. And but customs will make it black and white. white. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. initially, I mean, it's throwing stones up in the air and seeing what lands, right? Basically. Well, well, and that sort of brings me to my next question, right? So where does the responsibility lie? Right, because you're you're leaning on your customs broker. Your customs broker can give you a best guess. If you don't go for a ruling with customs, you're susceptible to you know the risk of being possibly audited later down the road. That's the that's on the importer. So where exactly does the responsibility lie? If you're if you're the importer, what do you need to know? I mean, ultimately, as a business person or a corporation, responsibility. Uh, the responsibility always lies with yourself, um, right. ultimately. Um, as far as the law goes, they also consider that to be fairly true. I, uh, customs brokers are relatively indemnified, I guess. Yeah, wash your hands of it would be <laughs> if we were on video right now. Um, but a broker, there will be some fine print on your invoice at some point that says, please let us know if, any of this is incorrect, and if not, you're basically on the hook. Mm-hmm. And the way the penalty system works, most of the significant penalties are directed towards the importer. Um, so, I mean, it, it's obviously in any corporation's best interest if they're doing um, international trade that... Um, Sorry, guys. I just took a picture, and I totally threw Shane off. We're, we're throwing Shane off his game a bit. We're taking selfies. I'm roll. We, we, uh, we, we want to be able to show you the behind the scenes and, therefore, the selfie, but I totally threw our guest off, so that was but, my fault. I mean, I'll, basically, the importer, if you don't think that you're on the hook, then you're probably already in trouble. Um, the government will come after you. It's... Your books, it's your records, it's your imports, it's the way that you do business, and think of it as a broker. Like that, there's a reason they're called brokers. It, they're literally facilitating administrative paperwork for you. And if you're not providing them information, or you're not knowledgeable, or the broker's unaware, or doesn't care, you're the one that's going to be on the hook. I'm actually going to throw Debbie underneath the bus again. Uh, one of <laughs> Debbie's favorite I sayings. I to be Debbie right now. Know, well, it's all good things. We love Debbie. Um, her, one of her favorite sayings is, you're only as good as the paperwork you get. Right. So we, we don't know really the product that's coming in. That is really the importer's responsibility to know what they're bringing in. So if we get a piece of paper and it says a cotton shirt, we don't know that that cotton shirt's only 30% cotton and the rest is polyester. 
because it just says cotton shirt. So we're going to assume that, oh, it's a cotton shirt. We're going to put in that duty. Next mm -hmm. thing you know, that duty might be 16% instead of 13.5. Right. And that's why it's important to put the HS code on all of the documents. That is good. And also have a good understanding of what you are importing. Mm -hmm. I, I had and to relay deal, it, though. Yeah, I had I to deal with communication is key there. A, a couple clients, and they're like, oh, I worked for this company, and we did this before. And then when they started working for this other company that dealt with clothes, they knew nothing about textiles. Mm -hmm. Textiles is one of the worst things I hate. I hate textiles. I do not even <laughs> want to touch textiles. And there's no permits anymore either. And there's no permits or anything. So it's just, it, it's brutal. I, I'm more of the guy that, like, the machine, steel, aircraft, mm -hmm. all really? the fun man stuff. I know. <laughs> that surprises me. So who would have thought 84 it? and 85. 84 and <laughs> 85. Those are really good chapters. Yeah, and they're I interesting. <laughs> so I guess going to my next point. Um, so what, I mean, the title of this podcast, I mean, really is you know how how to not bankrupt your company you know as as long as you're being compliant so what are your key takeaways that our audience can can really take and uh, utilize so that they I mean going bankrupt is a bit harsh yes um, but it was also end, a bit tongue-in-cheek yeah at the end of the day I think there's some key takeaways that you can give to our audience in relation to compliance and what they should really be taking a look at why don't we say going in the rears instead of bankruptcy well, chapter 11 all the way. There you go. See, this is a man I can understand. We can start throwing out D memos and no one will have any clue. Yeah, we can take this all the way. All right, guys. Um, I mean, basically, there's there's two ways you could hurt yourself uh, as a international trade corporation. You are susceptible to penalties, obviously. You do the wrong thing. The government's not happy. You're going to end up paying what you should have paid in the first place, plus penalties, plus... Interest. Additional penalties plus interest, all of that. Um, but equally as important is when you're kind of screwing yourself. Like, lots of companies out there are not taking um, advantage of opportunities to save money on importation through Origins, through HS, through any number of... Form A, um, certificates, anything like any that. Any of yeah. that stuff. And, you know, a, a penny saved is a penny earned, right? Mm -hmm. So, if... Yes, you're potentially opening yourself to penalties, but you may also be paying five, six, eight, ten percent more duty than you should be, mm -hmm. which on an initial entry wouldn't be a big deal. But you do that a hundred times a week over the course of four years, you, you're yeah. you're That's losing you're losing cash. For, for yeah. example, we have a, a medical client and. Uh, I started using the um, GST code zero, I think five six, uh, and that's for medical supplies yep. that are going to hospitals. So they got their first invoice, and they came back to me like, "Nick, this is wrong. We've always paid duty." So then they, after I explained to them everything, they're like, "Okay, so my last broker for the last five years has been charging me eighteen percent duty when it should have been free." Ooh. So we had a huge drawback to do at work, and it's still an ongoing process. I can't say any client names or anything for confidentiality reasons and stuff. But yeah, it's like, we're talking like close to like three, four million. Wow. Like, you know, that brings me to a point. Like I know we said the broker can just give you a best guess, but a lot of times they also have a compliance department that you really want to take advantage of because they can help, you know, guide you and make sure that you're doing things properly. And yes, you have to pay for that service. But at the end of the day, it could be a dollar saved, right? Like you were talking about. Well, yeah, you could be millions you get back. Yeah, you, mm -hmm. and, and it's a, it's a one-stop shop. 
yep. you, you solve a problem once, it's solved for the the remainder yeah, until the duration of customs decides to change that HS code or something weird, or mm -hmm. totally erase that HS code and totally make a new chapter. Well, and, and being knowledgeable allows you to have those conversations because those are not cheap conversations. Like, if, if you're speaking with a lawyer or a consultant, yeah. um, you need to make the best of that time. Um, so to just go to them and say, we don't know what we're doing, can you explain it to us? You know, yeah. 10 hours with a lawyer and... You know, $500 an yeah, hour. Yeah, 500 bucks an hour, <laughs> there you go, right? Um, so, I mean, ultimately, that's how I obtain the job that I have right now is basically my company determined we don't really know right from wrong. We're being told this, we're being told that. Um, so bring in somebody that can interpret all of that and then move forward and have educated conversations with people mm -hmm. about, you know, valuation or classification or origin or um, because we're, we have several sister companies, contracts come into play. So how is the contract written? Um, I think people at times think that it's just as simple as I put it in a box, it crosses the border, I get a bill. And wash your hands and again. We're all done. <laughs> we're back to washing our hands. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, basically at the root source, that is what's happening. Mm -hmm. But there's so much logistics and legislation to follow through that, mm -hmm. that you can, ex you can expose yourself, basically. Yeah. And if you're doing this, so, I mean, we do thousands of shipments a year uh, internationally. You're exposing yourself on each one of those if, you know, if you're flipping a coin to see whether it's going to be duty-free or not duty-free, right? Right. So. so those key points would basically be, you know, like know your product, mm -hmm. you know, product classification. If you're unsure, you know, potentially go for a ruling, but, you know, check with your broker and maybe their compliance department, that kind of thing. Um, Look and for inconsistencies. Okay. Um, I mean, even through a broker, you bring in, let's say, bikes, for instance, and you've got four different classifications for potentially the exact same product. That's a bit of a red flag that... But, yeah, but the thing with bikes, too, uh, I do know this because we do have a couple clients that import bikes. Um, they break it down to the tire size of the bike. Yes. So you got about four or five different HS codes, and they could all be right on all the entries, but... The, the paperwork that you get just says a bike. It doesn't say it's a 26-inch wheel bike or a 13-inch wheel mountain bike for a kid. And, and that will totally change the amount of duties and stuff. Well, and the problem with bikes, too, is um, the other-other, which, yeah. which is a broker term. Yeah, meaning other-other. You, you basically take um, the classification at the very end of when in a doubt, schedule. other-other. So our other-other <laughs> for bikes is tricycles. So when they pick 90-90... It's a tricycle. It's like a yeah. or a unicycle. It's something without two wheels on it. Oh, okay. Um, so it's those little things where, and as a broker, I was a broker for eighteen years. And I've been on sort of the commercial side now for two and a half. I think we should have been lawyers. They get paid a lot more. We just talked about. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people get paid. A lot more <laughs> um, but I mean, ultimately, it allows me to think like what's going on in the other end of the phone type thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, we do corrections daily. Nothing's perfect. No, and that's and it's always never going to be. The case. To be. No, no. Um, but it's, there's a level of diligence that's required just just to maintain. Like you're not doing more than you have to. You're really just doing what you're supposed to do and keeping yourselves in line with 
legislative requirements and it's it's protectionist, right? Mm -hmm. So do you have an example of when a company went almost bankrupt for non-compliance? I mean, I know maybe we can't go into detail on company names because of confidentiality or I don't know. But give me an example. Give me an example of when a company almost went bankrupt for non-compliance. So I've had clients... So the bankrupt thing, probably less likely financially, um, just because the impact isn't necessarily always one solid amount. No, but I mean like, okay, so you've, you've thought that your product was coming in at zero duty for the last four years. Then Customs comes in and says, no, it's actually 8% and you've done, I don't know, thousands of entries over well, these exactly. last four years. Like we're looking at, you know... A lot of money. Like, it could be half a million. It could be... And the problem with it is, I mean, the way finance works is you allocate funds. So our budget for this year is this much. Mm -hmm. Well, you get nailed with an audit. That's four years worth of mistakes all being brought to light at the exact same moment. And you don't get monthly payments. Uh, or do you? I, you, well, I, you, I think you could probably you negotiate. Could, them. Like, they're not um, in the habit of bankrupting. Yeah, no, like no, they, no, they no, don't want to, the CRA or whoever <coughs> to be involved doesn't want to put hardship on a company. Let's say. Right. Um, so there is ways that they. I wouldn't necessarily. Uh, people should shut their phone off when they're in interviews. <laughs> what is going on here? Not me. And <laughs> no, that was me, guys. Um, so they they will help you, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily like diminishing the whole thing or whatever. They mm -hmm. might reduce it or, or help you do payments or look at other ways that maybe there's a GST code or something like yeah. saying it's medical goods. Right. And, and no one thought about using that. So they, they will try and help you, but okay. there's no guarantee that everything's going to get wiped away and you're going to start clean. Right, 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 right. And for the most part... The way that the government gives concessions is allowing you to easily correct. They're not necessarily going to let you off the hook, but you won't have to do adjustments on every single individual entry. No. You but your broker's also going to hate you because yeah. then he's going to get this Excel sheet with like 100 some odd entries <laughs> and he has to do a B2 on every single one of them. <laughs> Can you just, oh. just put the transaction number in there? Yeah. And what's thing. a B2? A B2 is a correction form that when you need to change an entry that's already closed by mm -hmm. the CBSA, say uh, country of origin, you put Malaysia and I was China, just something stupid like that, mm -hmm. could be HS code. You right. classified it as cocked in pants and they're mm -hmm. actually nylon pants or something. Um, so a B2 is just a form that uh, Canadian Customs use to issue corrections and to make amendments to files that were already closed with the government. Right, okay. And personal importers can do those as well. Okay. Yes, yes. So just to cap it all off before we get into uh, two main questions that we usually ask uh, all of our guests, um, just, again, an overview, what are the benefits of being compliant? Well, peace of mind. Um, you go to bed at night being able to sleep. And you don't got the CRA calling yeah, you every 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, you don't. Uh, you haven't responded to my email yet. Because eventually, you're, whether you're a broker or you're an importer, you're going to get um, verification audit requests from customs. They're going to look into your stuff. They're 
And they look into all sorts of things, right? It's not oh. just the classification oh, code. Oh, it's everywhere, yeah. It's origins. What, what else am I missing here, uh, the, Like, I know there's certain divisions in Canada Customs that travel all over the world to make sure that these goods were made in this location and they do qualify for NAFTA. Or if they are an NRI, they might go to the actual company and try and just find out more information about them, why they're trying to come into the Canadian market if they mm -hmm. have no... Um, sister companies or anything in the Canada market. Um, so so there is a lot more and a lot more divisions, like customs, they're sort of related to Revenue Canada, but they sort of aren't. They're kind of amalgamated. It's almost like Toronto. Mm -hmm. Like Mississauga, Brampton, everything's technically Toronto when it really isn't. GTA. Well, GTA. back in the day it was. It was CRA. It was yeah, a, and see, that's like, that's a tiny bit of an age difference here. I never really had to... <laughs> Thanks for that. So, sorry, I, I never had to deal with the CRA ever since I was a customs officer. It's always kind of been under one entity, where just about two, three years before I, I became in my career, I guess you could say, um, it was CRA that you were dealing with. So you would do like the issues with customs, but then you might get a call from CRA saying, uh, yeah, how come this business, and they'll mm -hmm. give you the business number, is not paying their bills or something. And this is before you had like GST Direct mm -hmm. and the ARL system. And these are all new systems that customs has implemented mm -hmm. the last few years just to kind of come up with times to um, make it all like kind of electronic instead mm -hmm. of paper, paper, paper. Right, right. And I think that's a good thing, especially know, for the I'm environment. Paper, paper, paper. Yeah, <laughs> and, and to this day, actually, I, I still prefer looking off paper. I find it hard looking at a shipment on screen and, and trying to figure out, okay, who did this shipment, why they did it in this order and stuff, right. where when you physically got the paperwork in front of you, you got a ruler, you, you could... I just yeah. find it easier that way. Our audience can't see it right now, but Shane came with a stack of papers with all his notes I'm, on I'm it. a paper guy. You can tell he was a broker. <laughs> and just one other point to that yeah. as well is um, the targeting of specific industries and products as well. Oh, yeah, that's a good um, point. So CBSA is... That is a good point. And they're acknowledging sort of what they're looking for. And, in fact, our industry was targeted in four or five different categories. Mm -hmm. um, so it... It really comes down to just being knowledgeable. Uh, it's mm -hmm. it's like anything. If you're doing your income tax, you want an accountant that knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing international trade, you're going to want somebody that, if you're not going to be knowledgeable, then you have to be able to trust the people that you're dealing with. Right. So much great information today. Well, let's get into, you know, where do you see the biggest changes in compliance in the next five to ten years? Like, what do companies need to be on the lookout for? For me, I know that in Canada, um, they're looking to increase the de minimis, and that's going to be a huge thing uh, for goods moving back and forth and into Canada. I hate that. I Sorry, know. that's just... It hasn't passed yet. And, but a, it's... and a big increase in de minimis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's going to be a big, big, big So change. just for our audience, what is de minimis? How are you going to explain that one? Um, so it's basically it's, it's a it's a minimum it's a minimum amount that the government basically will let discards. pass through yes. the border without G uh, without taxes yes. and duties. And it yeah. currently it's seven fifty. Is it higher than that? Now? No, no, no. I think it's uh, twenty dollars right now. Twenty in the 20, U.S. Yeah. I think it's something like eight hundred. Yeah, no, ours, yeah, it's big in the U.S. Ours yeah. is twenty, um, but the thing with that is. Um, 
if it has OGD or whatever, then mm-hmm. it's technically removed. even though yeah, it's removed from the consist, any OGD at all. and it will be put on high value. So even though it's a sample of some sort of chemical that you are bringing in to do lab testing on, mm-hmm. it's going to be put on your high value. And yeah, it gets Y fifty immediately. Yeah, and goes, exactly. Right. Well, I fit other terms that people are not going to know. Well, I just keep throwing them out there. It makes yeah. me satisfied. Well, Y50 <laughs> is a request for uh, documentation that customs will apply, or well, Canada Customs will apply. So if they think there's something wrong or something fishy about the value, uh, they have the option to request a Y50, which then you have to get a paper package together, send it to customs, so it's all the paperwork you get that you normally put in the data. You still got to put in the data, but you got to put the package together and send it yeah, to customs. Yeah, it turns it old cleared. school real fast. Yeah, like, like real quick. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one sort of example. I think another one um, is there's a conversation around um, having one broker completely in charge of all your transactions. So you could have two brokers doing entries for you, but I think what they're looking to do potentially down the road is one broker being responsible responsible for all of the um the information and the, the access, you have access through that. that one broker. Yeah. So those are two things that I know that are coming down the line. I mean, what do you think are going to be, you know, challenges in compliance? What do companies need to look out for in the next five to ten years? So I'm a doom and gloom guy. Mm-hmm. That's just my nature. <laughs> um, I think the fact that we're having um, reduced duty uh, globally um, like we have duty reduction processes in place all across. Uh, the fact that GST is down, CBSA is not creating the revenue stream that they had been. And the fact that they do have a system with AMPS, the monetary penalty system, that they can fall back on, I really think they're going to start ramping it up. Ramping it up, mm-hmm. crack, cracking down. Um, I mean, I so I, I was at DHL for, felt like forever. Um, I'm we sorry did, about that. Yeah, no. <laughs> we, we did 30,000 shipments a month. Um, literally within a couple months of me taking over at DHL, we had an audit. Nothing was found. So, I mean, as a broker, there's no way anybody's that perfect. Um, with that many entries being handled in that short amount of time. That is true. And, and actually, a funny story. When I started at Ice Corp, we did not have the scanning capability. Now, um, any shipment we do, we scan the docs into that shipment we do. So basically, you get the paperwork by fax or whatever. You do the entry. You put it in this little folder. You put the release date on that folder. You put it in a box, and it goes into storage for six years, technically. Now, it's a lot more easier. So in the last probably about two years after I started working, I was talking to a, a friend of mine that worked at a different company that used the same system we did. And I found out that they had scanning abilities. So then I inquired to my manager at the time, and she found out, yeah, we do. We figured it out, so we started scanning. So now if, if that shipment and customs has a question on that shipment, we don't close any shipment without the scan there now. So it's a lot easier to find, right. where before you'd have to get the box. And then, okay, they want all the shipments from Footprint or, or whatever company it would be from 2012. Then you're going in the storage room, you're looking, okay, um, clients A to F. 2012, and then you got clients F to J or whatever, 2012, mm-hmm. and then it's like, okay, and then you're opening the box, literally one file by one file, mm-hmm. trying to find the five or six that Customs wants the inquiry on. Yeah, that brings up a, a, a really good point. I think technology is going to change things dramatically 
not only from the government perspective, but also from the customs perspective, as well as the interchange of information between customers and a customs broker. Um, I think, and it's just going to take it to a whole nother level that we don't even we don't even know what that looks like at the moment. And it's going to be fairly quick. I think it's going to be within the next couple of years. Well, and the onus is on the importer because customs is keeping up. Yeah. So they're making leaps and bounds in, you know, in the technology, you know, how they can manipulate data. They can isolate HS codes. They can, they can literally look at you as a company, see what you do, run a report that shows every HS code you've ever used and pick out anomalies. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, I mean, if you're not, you're not keeping up with the Joneses type thing, then you're leaving yourself liable. And they might even flag you, so then every shipment you get might go well, for that's the other thing exam, too. and then you're paying an extra thousand bucks, couple thousand dollars, just because you've got exam charges, mm -hmm. maybe demerge at the container yep. yard, storage might have started, and well, and we a talk, whole bunch of stuff. talked about the bankruptcy thing. I mean, if I mean, from my perspective, we're obviously an international company. We ship goods all over the world. Our importing, you know, we get Section Two Forty Three. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if all of a sudden your importing um, abilities suspended or taken away completely, well, there goes your, like, what, what's your business model now? Actually, <laughs> right? uh, like, a story I heard about on the weekend, a friend of mine that uh, used to be a client of ours, no longer a client, can't say any names, um, they had a shipment that came in and their new broker um, sent an email to the truck driver that they always use saying, here's the pickup number. This truck driver always replies to his email saying, well noted, I'll pick it up on this date. They never got an email back. They didn't do their due diligence as well. They should have followed up. If they know the routine, every time they send a pickup number, he comes back that same day saying, well noted, this is when I'm going to pick up the container. Nothing came through. You're going to think twice. I would anyways. There's some people that just wouldn't care. Um, so basically what happened was trucker didn't get the email and storage started. Now, we're talking, by the time everyone found out what was going on, we're already at like three to four weeks of storage. <gasps> so you're looking at average about $200 a day for a rail yard. Yeah. So his shipment, I think, was only around thirty grand. By the time everything was done, his storage alone was at six fifty. So then he had to deal with the broker, find out why they didn't mm -hmm. send another email to follow up. He had to deal with the steamship line because now they got the merge. He had to deal with the rail line. So when it was all done, they cut him down to about half, and that's all they do. So he still had to pay thirty two thousand wow. plus all his goods that he had to pay. So right. yeah, it, it was a lot of money. Well, and that's outside really the compliance and, window, and but that's, that's still totally that can still impact compliance. you, right? Yeah. And I think that we could come up with stories all day long because in our oh. industry oh. there is not a day that goes by without, without a new story. Without a new story or a problem to solve. But so I think we're winding down in this interview. Um, but one last question I want to ask you is what top supply chain companies are you following? Well, obviously, all of our um, sister companies and stuff. Yeah, yeah we got to represent. Well, our service providers, yeah. because we're a global company, we do each country or each company, actually, within a country, mm -hmm. um, focuses in specifically on who they're using. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to say FedEx. Um, mm -hmm. we, I use them more out of a reliance. Um, they have entities all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, locally, 
you deal with the people that do a good job. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've used IceCore. I've we've used multiple different companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, from my perspective, it's never price. Like I'm I'm our compliance specialist. I mm-hmm. my concern is, can I use somebody that's going to do it properly? Yeah. And again, FedEx, they are what they are. I mean, they're a global company. Um, they do do a good job. I will admit. Um, not that anybody else couldn't do the same job, but they do do a very good job. Mm-hmm. But constant monitoring. Like, it's constant. Every yeah. single day, not an invoice passes my desk that I don't basically rate it as a broker. Well, I think from a compliance perspective, looking sort of outside the industry, I PVH, like Philip Van Heusen, um, they have a huge compliance section, and it's they've really put a focus on compliance. So I think, I mean, I know I asked you the question, but I think for me, from a, client, a compliance perspective, they would be one to watch because they're really, really doing it right. Well, anyways, I really want to say thank you, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we really loved having you here, and I know Nick really loved having you here because you, you guys just bounced some stories off of each other, and, and uh, there was a lot of great information. So, anyways, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorp.ca. That is I-C-E-C-O-R-P dot C-A. And check out their learning center, as they have some great free resources waiting for you. Thank you to Shane Cannon today for all his advice on staying compliant. Are you compliant or do you have some work to do? We will have all his contact details in the show notes of the episode. Offshore versus local, manufacturing, where are you in this debate? If you have any questions about this hot topic, we have Sheena and Monique from MSH District giving us the full notes about manufacturing. And if we are lucky, they might even tell us what MSH stands for. You won't want to miss it. Remember to visit our website for freebies and lots more info on our guests and supply chain. At Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, always remember, hashtag ship happens.